I didn't have many close friends growing up, especially through my teenage years. And I'm sure there were several reasons for this. Uh, For one, when I hit puberty, I became socially standoffish because in any given situation, there just might be a girl present. And I didn't know what to do with girls. And then whenever it was time to change schools, like from elementary to what we called junior high and then from junior high to high school, I tended to move to a different school from the rest of my friends, and so I never developed long-term relationships. But another reason... I didn't have any close friends growing up was probably because I had developed a reputation. A reputation for being, wait for it, a sort of Jesus freak. Yes, I'm sorry to disappoint. (laughs) Some of you may remember that once popular song with the same name by the Christian music group DC Talk. You should know that their song Jesus Freak came out after I graduated from high school, which means I was labeled a Jesus freak years before the song made it cool to be one. Now, granted, the reason I was called a Jesus freak wasn't because I was shoving Jesus into everyone's faces or telling my unbelieving classmates that they were going to hell, nothing like that. I just carried my Bible to school with me. I was known to go to church a lot, and I don't think I said a cuss word until I was about 20. I guess that's what made me a Jesus freak. But for these reasons and more, it was socially awkward growing up. It was difficult figuring out who I was while being on the fringe of so many friend groups. So thank the Lord I had my family. Thank God I had my church. For it was these communities that that gave me shelter. They gave me encouragement. They they helped to form my identity and and they gave me self-worth. It was because of them that, well, most of the time at least, I didn't think I was crazy. But what would have happened if they had also turned on me? I can't even begin to imagine what it would have been like for me to have been ostracized at some level by my family and by those church leaders who had been so influential in my life. That would have been much more than I could have endured. I would have definitely thought that I was crazy. I have a soft spot in my heart for those whose family and church have from time to time pushed them aside because they didn't fit the mold, or because they didn't toe the line, or because they didn't act and believe like everyone was supposed to act and believe. I know for a fact that this includes many of you here today. Many of you, at some point in your life, we're thought to be crazy by those closest to you. Not just your friends, but even your family. Not just the leaders at your job or your school, but even leaders at your church. They thought you were out of your mind, and maybe they still do. Well, my friends, today I have good news for you. You're in good company. You probably know where I'm going with this as our gospel passage today from Mark chapter 3 shows us that Jesus too was thought to be out of his mind by both his family and by the religious leaders of the day. How did he deal with such accusations? How did he handle being ostracized throughout his ministry by those closest to him? And what might we learn from all of this for our lives today? 
Well, first, let's retrace our steps to see what led up to Jesus being accused as crazy. And so when we start at the beginning, we see that the gospel of Mark opens with a flurry of activity. I mean, there is nothing to slow you down in these first three chapters. I mean, before you know it, Jesus is hopping from town to town, proclaiming the arrival of God's kingdom and inviting others to be a part of it by following him. I would say that the feel of this is similar to that of a politician who has just announced his candidacy. And so he's out there on the campaign trail, doing his best to to stir up support and, and generate a kind of grassroots movement. Except that Jesus is doing this by more than just giving speeches. He's actually delivering on his campaign promises right there on the spot. Healings, exorcisms, miracles. He is the social program of the kingdom in the flesh. And so you can only imagine the kind of attention and publicity his movement quickly receives. People everywhere are absolutely astounded by what he is saying and by what he is doing. So much so that Mark says, quote, his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. His fame. A few verses later, when Jesus comes to Peter's house in Capernaum, Mark tells us, quote, the whole entire city gathered together at the door of the house. And we're still in Mark chapter 1, right? When the chapter finally comes to an end, the text says that Jesus could no longer openly enter any town because of the crowds. Instead, he had to stay out in the countryside to find some relief. But even then, people would track him down from every corner of the region. As we move into chapter 2, Jesus returns to Capernaum, and word gets out that he's back, back at Peter's home. And so again, right, a flood of people pour into the house, so much so that you couldn't even get in. In fact, you'll remember, four men, they try to bring their friend to Jesus for healing, a paralytic on a stretcher. But because of the packed crowd, they have to go on top of the roof, dig a hole so as to lower their friend to Jesus. I mean, this is, this is wild stuff going on. Well, here in chapter 3, it's pretty much the same scene. Jesus is in that same house once again, the sun perhaps beaming down through that gaping hole in the ceiling. And once again, there are so many people gathered that Mark tells us that they couldn't even eat. So it's crazy. Clearly, this new Jesus movement, this new kingdom movement that he's stirring up, it's it's all getting out of hand. I mean, who does this Jesus really think he is? Does he not know our religious traditions? Does he not know that he's making it hard on his family right now? I mean, he's giving them a bad rap. And so Mark says that Jesus' family, that is his mother, Mary, and his brothers, they they come to Capernaum in order to, quote, restrain him. It's the same word that is used later in Mark when the authorities come to arrest Jesus. I mean, but this has to be done, right? Because people are talking. People are saying that Jesus has lost his mind. He needs to be put in his place. 
If you think that we're wrong about this, know that the religious authorities are on our side here. They too think something is off with this Jesus. So much so that perhaps Jesus is in league with the devil himself. You see, Jesus is out of his mind. I mean, you should know this, but this, by the way, is not a compliment. I mean, if you were to refer even today to someone being out of their mind, that's generally not a good thing. I mean, we we typically prefer people who have a good mind, a sharp mind, especially since the Enlightenment. We value what's rational, you know, what logically makes sense. And yet nobody ever told Jesus, you know, you have one of the best furnished minds in all of Galilee. No one ever reacted to Jesus' teaching by saying, wow, what a wonderfully rational lecture that was. No, instead they said, he is out of his mind. Jesus, quick, say something rational. Give us something that will sharpen our minds. Okay. You can only grow up by becoming like a little child. You want to win? You must do so by losing. You receive only to the degree that you give away. And you only live by dying to yourself. (laughs) That doesn't sound very rational to me. That sounds more like Jesus has lost his mind. Okay, then Jesus, try this. Try try something thoughtful instead. Oh, I know. Give us something practical. Something practical that we can use for our daily lives. That's what we want. All right. Blessed are the poor. Happy are the hungry. How fortunate are you who are divorced and unemployed or suffering from depression? What? Blessed? Happy? Fortunate? Jesus, are you out of your mind? You know, once there was this rich investor who was very successful. He made his fortune through real estate. In fact, he built so many houses that he could hardly remember how many there were. We would call him a success and a model for our young people to emulate. But one day, this rich investor says to himself, soul, rest easy. I mean, you made it. You have so many houses that you can't even count them all. It's time now to sit back, relax, and enjoy. Enjoy retirement, perhaps. But then that night, the angel of the Lord taps him on the shoulder and whispers in his ear, You fool. You are such a fool. Could it be that Jesus is only thought to be out of his mind because he doesn't nicely fit into our categories, into our ways of thinking. Or better yet, could it be that Jesus isn't out of his mind at all? That instead, to the degree that our lives are not shaped by Jesus, to the degree that our minds fail to operate like Jesus, that we are the ones who are actually out of our minds. There was once this college student who was having a hard time fitting into campus life She was struggling greatly from this, emotionally, socially. But then one semester, she takes some type of a contemporary cultural criticism class, and it just changes her world. Why? Because she thought she was crazy. 
But the class helped her to see that it's actually the university or the culture that is, in fact, crazy. I mean, she's been given a new lease on life because she's been given a new mind, a new way of thinking. One of the greatest joys of Christian discipleship, of our growth in the faith, is to have our minds messed up by Jesus, turned upside down by his radical demands, so that we discover that it's actually our ways of viewing the world. It's our ways of living our life that are a bit nutso. Perhaps we're the ones who need to be given a new mind. Do you remember when the Apostle Paul said, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus? Might that have a new meaning for us today in light of today's gospel text when Jesus is called out of his mind? Apparently, we need to embrace the mind of Jesus, even if that means we too are sometimes thought to be out of our minds, even if thought so by our own family, even if by today's religious establishment because it's the mind of Christ the way of Jesus that trumps everything else everything years ago I had a a, a good friend of mine was two years away from retiring from the United States Postal Service which meant a full pension for him and his family until the day he died But it was during the same time that he and his wife believed the Spirit was leading them to make a significant life decision with a ministry in Nicaragua that they were currently supporting. And so in conversations with their pastors and their close friends, they decided that my friend would resign from the postal service so that he and his wife could move to Nicaragua to serve this ministry at a critical juncture in its history. Of course, that would mean that they would have to forfeit the pension. I can't tell you how many fellow Christians looked at that decision and shook their heads and said, are you crazy? You're going to give up the financial security of your family, all that you worked for for these past 38 years because you believe God is calling you to serve in Nicaragua? Tell me, are you out of your mind? Right? That's what most reasonable people think. But the truth is, they weren't out of their minds, they just had the mind of Christ, right? If we are to walk down a similar path, this crazy path of living marked by Jesus, how are we going to deal with such accusations? How are we to handle possibly being ostracized by those who are closest to us? Well, Jesus' answer is as radical today as it was 2,000 years ago. Jesus forms and leans on a new family, a new family that was as crazy as he was. Who are my mother and my brother, Jesus asked the crowd. Only those who along with me do the will of the Father. (laughs) So yes, Jesus was rejected. His family tried to restrain him. The religious authorities finally arrested and crucified him. Yes, Jesus was thought to be out of his mind, a rebel, a revolutionary. And so how did he handle this? By forming a cohort of fellow rejects, of fellow revolutionaries, a band, a community who the world considers fools out of their collective mind. Did you ever think of the church in this way, right? A band of fools following Jesus. 
that we are meant to be a people out of our minds with Jesus. And it's only when we're deeply rooted in this crazy community called the church that we find our sanity, that we find our identity, our true family. So that together we have the support that we need so that we can continue all the crazy things that Jesus began to do and teach from the beginning. Yes, we the church are to be a people out of our minds with Jesus. And so, Heavenly Father, would you be generous with your spirit? And would you help us? Would you uh, clean our, our, our vision up? Uh, we're so easily captured by the ways of the world, the goals of the world, the things that we are supposed to become and do and achieve when Jesus is calling us to pick up a towel, to serve those on the margin, to be about a different way of living altogether, a way that appears crazy to this world. We can't follow this way without your help and without this community that you have given us, the church. So strengthen us to live out the way of Jesus together. We pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.